Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Voices of the Vic podcast with Ben Ayton and Mike Duffy. This episode contains some strong language. Hello and welcome to the Voices of the Vic podcast with me, Mike Duffy and Ben Ayson, as always. Uh, ben, result aside for the moment, how's your weekend been? Hard work, mate. Um, busy, <laughs> slaving away, as you, you might see on my social media. I've started decorating. Um, so I, I didn't actually watch the Watford game live yesterday. I had to record it and then I caught up with it later on. And I kind of <laughs> wish I carried on decorating, if I'm totally honest. Um, but yeah, hard work. It's, it's difficult doing decorating as it is, but when you're trying to do it with a five-month-year-old and try and work around her, it, it's difficult. So yeah, I was sanding all the walls down yesterday, which is bloody hard work. And yeah. uh, my missus took the baby out for a walk. She came back and I was still doing it. And I was like, oh, thinking, could you take around the block a little bit more? But yeah, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> No painting on the wall yet. Um, I know you want to analyse my decorating today, mate. Um, yeah, absolutely. Instead of the game. So, have you got any questions about the decorating? I'm more than happy to answer them. Yeah. How how long did it take you to steam the walls in the end? Oh, oh, oh yeah, that was a hard job as well. Steaming yeah. the walls probably about two hours. Oh, because I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> I um, I recently when I've been helping my mate renovate his new place, one of the first ever jobs when he first moved in was to steam all the wallpaper down and steam the ceiling because they'd wallpapered the ceiling as well. And wow. uh, I bet your arms ache this morning, don't they? Oh, they do a little bit. Yeah. I only had one wall that was wallpaper to take down and it took oh, me right, two okay. hours. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a nightmare, those steamers are. Uh, I can't believe we're actually going into depth, although I think this was probably more interesting than the game itself. But yeah, um, poor you. How's your but... week going anyway, mate? Yeah, um, yeah, it's going all right. I um, in the week uh, may have seen on social media. I entered the Birmingham 10K. Um, I did the run last year in May, although because of the pandemic, it was cancelled. But I still did the 10K on the day of the race. Um, ended up raising 775 quid for the Stroke Association. So I've done it again. I got an email the other day saying. Entries are now open because you entered last year. You get first dibs. So I entered, paid my entry fee. I am now just waiting. I'm expecting a email this coming week from the charity that I want to run for. 
And then as soon as I've got the details, I'll be posting them on my social media. So if any of the, this is where we're going to be a little bit cheeky. If any of the listeners fancy sponsoring me and uh, donating, that'd be absolutely amazing. Um, so like I said, once I've got the details, I can um, I can get that sorted. And then I've got my um, mortgage in principle as well. So I can start, if, if I find somewhere, I find a flat or somewhere nice, I can actually start bidding now. So a couple of bits of good news the uh, the week just gone and uh, feeling a lot more positive now and something to, to look forward so uh, fantastic news mate and it's there's light at the end of a tunnel with the amount of that's happening at the moment I think we're into about 10 million now aren't we um, yeah. so yeah there's light at the end of a tunnel and hopefully um, we just all need to keep our heads down and stay positive and we'll, we'll get there eventually I, I really think that we could probably see some normality within the next six months i really hope so i really really do uh i mean you know you message there to stay positive <laughs> it's tough as a watford fan but believe me you look at life as a bigger picture and there are things to be positive about as ben has just pointed out you know i found it quite ironic this morning i thought i was trying to prepare notes for today's podcast and i was i was left with minimal notes from the game itself and I was listening to my music and Land of Make Believe came up from Books Fizz and that was just so ironic because at the moment <laughs> it feels like we are living in a land of make believe because of what is going on at Watford. Um, we do have to talk about a game. Uh, I said that last week. This is becoming a bit of a theme now. We we had a chance, Ben, to, to come off the back of a, a very, very disappointing 2-1 win, uh, 2-1 loss, sorry, uh, at home to QPR. And it was against Coventry, who, um, I won't say are struggling, but they're, they're, they're down near the bottom. Uh, they, they look like they'll stay up, especially after yesterday. They, they can put their own about. Um, but a good chance to, to go in, fresh game, fresh confidence, everything else. And it just completely went the opposite way. I mean, to start with, uh, Munoz in the week said that he was going to try a new system. Uh, he also worryingly said, I think Will Hughes is better in the centre of the midfield. Uh, so it's a little bit worrying to read that he said that. Um, but when the team news come out, we were all expecting, we were like, oh, is it going to be a 4-2-3-1? Are we going to see 3-5-2? Are we going to see a new system? Team news come out then. It was 4-4-2 still. Three changes, Navarro, Hughes and Pedro out. Messina, Semmer and Gray in. Now, it was great that Messina was back. It was great that Semmer was out there back. But to drop Hughes and Pedro and then to bring Gray in, like, what were your thoughts when that team news come out at half 11 yesterday? Well, I wasn't delighted with the lineup. <laughs> it looks like the change of formation or the change of system was to drop our best midfielder at the club. Um, Hughesy, uh, yes, he he, is, he can't operate on that left-hand side, so you would put him in the middle. He says, Cisco has came out and said that he knows that he operates better in the middle, so I don't get why he didn't play him in the middle. Um, but uh, looking at that lineup. The bench excited me more than the starting lineup. Um, it was great yeah. to see Parizia back on the bench. I thought like we could change the game uh, with our bench, but yes, again, the substitutions were way too late. Like last 15, 20 minutes. It was later than the, usual. Yeah, like you were saying last week, when it normally gets to about the 60 minute mark, it's trademark double substitution for Watford, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And it was, it was just. It was just going on and on and on, and God knows how why he didn't change anything at half time as well when it was clearly not working. 
But yeah, that starting lineup weren't really impressive. Uh, Semmer deserves to start. Um, so I was glad to see him in. He didn't have the best of games yesterday. No. I was I was glad that Navarro wasn't in the starting lineup because I thought he was atrocious. Um, but it was a shame he was on the bench, to be fair. But luckily he didn't come on. Um, but yeah, bench excited me. Starting lineup didn't. Yeah, no, exactly. Like you said, great to see Parizza back. Really, really was. Um, I, I, we've spoke at length about this on this podcast that we, we believe that him and Troy could strike up a good partnership. We think that he will get goals. He's been massively unlucky with injuries so far. Um, I was half expecting maybe to see Isaac, but maybe this week was too early for him because he is back in full training as Parizza is. So maybe we might see him on a bench against Bristol City. Uh, I know a lot of people probably won't want to see him, but listen, at the moment, you'll try anything to work. Uh, but as you say, Ben, four four two. So obviously, we were massively deflated as a fan base after that news, and the game started, and you thought, okay, it's four four two. This is what the team is. Let's get behind the boys. And from the first whistle, we just didn't look good at all. Like Carv, Carv had us sussed out. With no sort of any attacking threat whatsoever. As you say, I think Semmer was poor yesterday. Uh, not his best of games. And it, it just nothing was clicking. It, even Tom Cleverley. I don't think Tom Cleverley was at his best. You know, we've said on the air before that he's he's got an engine on him. He just runs and runs and runs and closes down and everything. But he just didn't seem up to scratch yesterday. I don't know if, if, if you thought that as well, Ben. I just thought everyone was really below below par yesterday. I thought Saar was poor as well. Semmer yeah. was poor. I thought the midfield was inexistent. I thought there was a gaping hole in the middle of his midfield that Coventry had the freedom of St Andrews to just run through our midfield. It was no one was putting a challenge in. It was like there was nothing, no one there. I know they overpowered us by having an extra man in midfield, but come on, just don't. It was like. It was just it was just open for him to run through, wasn't it? There was Massively. there was no pressure. It was just long ball after long ball as well. I don't mind the odd long ball, but when you're going into games and your only plan is to hoof it up to Troy, that's the warning signal should go off because Troy don't win headers in the air this season, does he? Pretty much. No, other than the one in the second half, which we'll touch upon. He um, that Ostergaard, I think he he was up against. Not to be confused with the Ostergaard from Arsenal or whatever his name is, but I believe their centre back was called Ostergaard, and he he had Troy's number all game. He really, really did. I think he rattled Troy a bit because he he went in with an elbow at one stage, uh, very very sly. Uh, you know whether he meant it or not, but he he certainly got his 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 own back on him. But very very well marshaled, and you know. Same old story with Andre Gray, wasn't it? You know, he they were a little bit more. The passes were a little bit more on range, like only just. He was trying a few flicks, but his overall game was poor. I mean, that we we won't actually touch on the first half that much, other than the the, the fact that Cov should have scored. I think their guy missed a, pretty much an open goal from about two yards out, and he's just spooned the header over, free header. I was watching it back and I think Chalaba had two men from that free kick because it was that Gusto, Gustavo Hamer that put the ball in. Great delivery, by the way. Um, and then Chalaba had two men at the back post and their guy just missed it. And then our best chance, I don't even think he meant it. Andre Gray almost dinking the goalkeeper 
who looked like Zorro with his mask on. Um, but do you, do you think he meant that, Ben, or do you, do you think he was trying to dink it to Semmer? I'd love to think that he he, he, <laughs> meant, he attempted it and, and meant it, but it, it, that was a cross. Um, it, it would have been good if it went in. It would have just been his luck if he tried something like that and it actually went in the back of the net. <laughs> would have been a story of his season at all. But yeah, like you say... We should have gone into half time, maybe one nil down. Commentary had some really good chances. I thought there was a there was a threat round there down their right hand side. I thought De Costa was brilliant. I thought he was really good there right back. He was yeah. getting forward. It was a shame he went off with a bit of concussion. It looked like he went off yeah. in the second half, um, which was a bit bizarre because there wasn't too much of a coming together between him and uh, Chalabar. I didn't really see it, so I was a bit surprised that he actually was affected that badly and went off. But yeah, hopefully he makes a speedy recovery. But I think that was only his second start for commentary this season. He's, he, they signed him in the summer and he had a, he had um, Semmer on toast. I think his performance actually affected Semmer. With him playing so well and defending so well, I think Semmer really struggled against him. But yeah, Coventry should have scored twice. Both headers, I think BMU, um had the header that he headed into the ground and went it inches wide. I and thought it, that was it. it yeah, it hit the post behind the goal, didn't it? And then yeah. it rippled the net and it was like, oh, has that gone in? And thankfully it didn't. But yeah, it's it's the first half is just summed up by it's the same performance as yeah. Huddersfield away, bar the mistakes. It's the same performance as Stoke away first half, same performance of Millwall away, Bristol City away. Have we got any more? Nottingham Forest away? Yeah, well, every Watford performance since we went down, basically. We've we've had probably one complete performance, and I would say that. Uh, well, no, no, okay, maybe maybe two. Uh, Norwich at home and Preston at home, but other than that, it's it's the same old story as you say, Ben. The the, the massive gap in midfield was so evident at times. You know, I'm I'm looking. I I don't even think the players knew what was going on. The Adam Leventhal put out a brilliant article this morning. Uh, just in time for the podcast, actually. And it actually revealed that um, in the lead-up to the game, uh, Munoz was actually trialling a 3-5-2, but then completely scrapped the idea on the day, uh, which isn't great and makes you wonder. And then there was also a point in um, the game where Nathaniel Chalaber had actually asked, I thought you wanted us to press, looking very confused. Obviously, the, the sky cameras didn't pick that up, but it does make you worry a bit when the players don't seem to know what they're doing and when the manager just scraps the system that they've been trying all week. I mean, possibly went to a three at the back when Ngakia come off later on in the game, but, you know, what that was with, what, 10 minutes left, if that. So it's really odd. And the, the sky commentators alluded to it might be a 4-2-4 and the way the midfield was at times... I, I think it was a 4 0 because there was nobody in the middle, as you say. And no disrespect to Coventry, but if they were a decent team, we would have lost that, I think, 4-5-0, Ben. They were all over us. Callum O'Hare for them as well. Very, very lively nice. player. Yeah, they've got a few good tidy players. Like I've, I've mentioned De Costa already, but yeah. O'Hara, I thought Beamu was a threat up front. I thought Trucy Con struggled with him. Yep. And then they got the little man, uh, Hamer, Hamer, as well. Yeah. He is really good on the ball. And it just shows that these lower sides in the championship, they've got good players, but they just need someone who's probably a bit more clinical to put these chances away. Just like we, we watched Monday night, uh, QPR. You need someone like Charlie Austin. Or or might we say Nottingham Forest with a certain Glenn Murray? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, 
Yeah, so he's obviously joined Nottingham Forest for those that haven't seen. And he was at the double yesterday. Granted, one of the goals was a penalty. But the other goal, it was typical Glenn Murray goal. He's sort of, the ball's been lofted over to him. And he's dinked it over. I don't know if you saw as well, Ben. Um, Anthony Knockhart scored. Did you see who got the assist? Uh, James Garner, wasn't it? He was indeed. And um, there was a few tweets plauding his performance. It's amazing what happens when you play those two players in their position and actually give them game time, isn't it, really? Um, yeah. Yeah. It's it, it's typical, you know, I, th- I think um, I, Stu Levi put out a tweet yesterday saying that, um, you know, if, if only he could put on Twitter how Glenn Murray was treated behind the scenes and what Glenn Murray thought of the whole setup, uh, And, you know, he had a few responses saying, I've heard similar and... It's frustrating that you've got a player that will score goals. I think yesterday the stat come up in 120 games working under um, Chris Hutton, Glenn Murray's now scored 50 goals. Now that is a decent return. You know that that's that's 10 off being you know half of of, of the games he's played, and it's a bloody decent return. So it's. It's frustrating when you've got these players and then they go on and do even better. You know, we've we've had loans that haven't worked in the past, but the the way that the Man United fans used to harp on about how good Garner was, and I think we'll see it now at Forest. I, I I'm actually scared. I think we play them in March. I'm actually scared for that game because you just know Glen Murray's going to score. And you just know that James Garner's going to have an absolutely blinding game. You know, I've got a few Forest mates, obviously, living in Nottinghamshire. First thing I did when they played Coventry, funnily enough, the the weekend uh, or the in midweek, I text my mate. I says, how's James Garner looked? He says, he's run the show. He says, he's getting balls forward. That surprised me because he never looked like doing that for Watford. <laughs> he was getting stuck in. He says he was here, there and everywhere. So it's it's typical. And if if he's playing like that, we could have done with someone like that yesterday. You know, Cov ran the show completely, and the, I think they'll be feeling more disappointed to have not picked up three points. Obviously, we're gutted as well, but they'll be they'll be just as gutted not to pick up the three points yesterday because I think they very much warranted them. As you say, BMU created all sorts of trouble for for Trooster Kong. He's a big, strong striker. I remember watching BMU in League Two uh, when I used to go to Notts County. They played them in the playoffs. I went to both legs and BMU just ripped it up. Granted, it's League Two, but he's a very, very strong physical player. Um, and he, he gets about, as you say, Ben, which we don't have. Um, I mean, moving on to the second half, because literally that first half, in order, in terms of Watford chances, it was only that Andre Gray one I can really remember. I think Ngakia had a shot from distance. I think Messina had a shot from distance. Didn't really trouble the goalkeeper. But the second half, you know, even then I'm, I'm struggling to scratch. I'm scratching my head trying to think of chances. We've obviously got um, Troy did well to link Andre Gray through and Shah got in his way. Like, we've never seen that before. Just something, Ben, just doesn't feel right at the moment with the players. I, I, I I just can't seem to put my finger on what it is. I don't think anyone can put a finger on it. It's, it's an absolutely shambles behind the scenes and like in the dressing room and the hierarchy as well. It's just this the club's kind of rotten for, to its core at the moment. And I think in Adam Leventhal's piece that he released just before we started this podcast, he was saying that the, the atmosphere behind the scenes is, is at the moment it's quite similar to what it was with Ivic for his last couple of weeks as well. So it just says it all. It's just, it's not very good behind the scenes again. And 
something needs to change and quick. Um, it's just not good. Well, I get I mean, no, I, I get no enjoyment watching this Watford side. I feel, I feel numb watching them, and it hurts. And it's, I thought, yeah, we go to the Championship. Yeah, we're not Premier League um, side anymore. But at least I can start enjoying football again. And I've not enjoyed this season at all. It's, it's been horrible. I just want us to play some decent football or actually not not just play decent football I want us to have an identity we yeah. don't have an identity you look at the Watford side you don't know what it what it brings you don't know how it gels together you don't know where our next bloody goal's coming from as well um, we just don't create chances and that midfield it's just weak and we don't really have any ball carrying midfielders the ball carrying midfielders that we do have we leave on the bench like Zinka Eagle didn't even get a look in yesterday when yeah. he, he is one of our better players and we've only seen him doing a performance at Man United but he turned it on at United so why can't he be given an opportunity in the championship a way to cough and then Hughesy's another ball carrying midfielder and you could see as soon as Hughesy came on the game changed and we was getting the ball forward quicker and getting the ball into the box it's just frustrating yeah no it massively massively is and you know, I, I, just going back on what you said, you're not enjoying watching football. A lot of Watford fans won't. I, 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 my brother constantly tells me, you know, um, I'm the, one of the most positive Watford fans out there. And I do try and be positive, even when things are crap. I'm like, OK, well, at least we might be winning games if the football's crap or something. But even after yesterday, I switched that game off and it, it ruins my day. Like, yeah. that was the early kickoff. So, it's not as if it's three o'clock and the game's finishing at five and you can maybe have a couple of beers to sort of sink a few sorrows, so to speak, and, and only part of your day is ruined. It was half 12 kickoff. And I just, I had no interest in anything for the rest of the day then. I still sank a couple of beers, but I, uh, I, um, I just, the, I'm starting to really fall out of love with football. And I never, ever thought I'd say that, ever. So it, it is really tough. I mean, Ben, you've said there we've got no identity. We've we've had quite a few questions come in uh, on Twitter. So thank you, guys. Uh, one of our regular listeners, John Parslow, asked, isn't it time to build a team spine around Will Hughes in centre mid and Pedro as a number 10 and the rest of the front six battle for the remaining places? So he's he's, would you agree that we need to build the team around Husey and Pedro, and then the likes of Chalaba, Clev, Semasar, Dini, Gosling, Parizza, Zinkenagel, um, they can fight it out for, for the rest. Are those two players you, you would build the team about, or would you maybe add a few more in as well? Yeah, no, definitely. John's right. I think we should start looking at building the team around Husey and the likes of Pedro. Um, I do think Pedro would probably thrive in a position number 10 role at the moment. Um, because we've said before, we don't really think that he's a proper out-and-out striker. And when he, he does travel well with the ball, doesn't he? And he creates passes, uh, chances for us as well. So I do think we should start looking at the younger players as well and try and build in the side around them. It was good to see Ngakia on the right yesterday, but I did think he struggled. Um, but I would like to see Wilmot get another opportunity as well, because I feel like he's been frozen out at the moment. And I don't think, he really warrants that. Maybe if we did change the formation to three-five-two, um, he would have been given the chance to slot in alongside Sirelta and Econ. Um, but yeah, the rest of the side, I'd say yeah, you've got to fight it out, really. 
Absolutely. You know, I, I'd probably say, yeah, build the team around them. And I think we do need someone that does have an engine on them, like Klebs in the middle, because Hughes, as you say, as soon as he gets the ball, he's looking to get the ball forward. We just need someone in that middle that ain't afraid to get, you know, stuck in and ain't afraid to do the dirty work and put the sort of mileage in and try and win the ball back and press and everything. It's a little bit annoying that cleverly is that player because out of the lot he's the oldest so you, you shouldn't really be relying on your oldest player to be chasing down lost causes I mean granted he didn't do that much or didn't do that very well yesterday but I still think we need someone in the middle like that but if we can work around Hughes and have someone like that next to him then I completely agree and Pedro I, t- I touched on it last week why Pedro keeps getting dropped it's it, we, we're going to stall his, his sort of development as a player you know, I, I don't know whether the Pozzo's looked at this as maybe Richarlison 2.0. You know, he's coming from the same club. Would he have the same sort of impact? But at the moment, he's they're not giving him the chance to have that sort of impact. We know that the Pozzo's like to bring in young players, build them up and then sell them on for fees. That's what they've done all along. But at the moment, we're not giving him that chance. And it's bloody frustrating. Uh, I mean, we've had a question from Bob the Hornet. It's quite a straight, it's quite a cutting edge question, Ben. Do you think the club's actually about to be sold? Do you think the Pozzos are on the way out? I've seen that tweet. Um, Bob has given his view on it. He, he reckons that we are. Um, mm. I don't know whether he knows anything. Um, but there's been talks for a season or two little murmurs saying that the Pozzos were looking for like a, a new investor. Yeah. But poss- but possibly, maybe, I, I don't know. It, it would make a lot of sense if they were looking to sell, considering they didn't really pump much money into the transfer windows. Um, and they're tr- trying to maybe balance books before a new investor comes in or a new potential buyer. Look, they bought Watford because they know the money's in the English football, isn't it? Um, but they had yes. Granada, they had um, Indonesi, they still have Indonesi, but they wanted to add a English football side to their CV. And they've done it. They've been here for X amount of years. Um, I'd want to say maybe about eight years, eight, nine years now. Um, 2012, they completed the takeover. Yeah. So nine, eight, nine years, yeah. Yeah, so is it is are they getting are they getting bored? Are they losing interest? Well, Outsiders looking in, you might say so. Here's um, what. But, sorry, yeah, carry on. No, you go ahead, oh, mate. Here's what I think. Obviously, when the Pozzos come in, the the game was well. Their game was okay. We're going to be here for the longevity of things. Let's build you a stand on that side. Brilliant. They've built the stand. They've improved facilities at Vicarage Roads. You know, when I used to, when I first started going, people used to sit in that stand where the uh, Sir Elton John stand is. And, you know, the the, the facilities weren't great, but they're much better now. Uh, the club shop was a, a just a little sort of box unit. I'm sure you probably remember that, Ben. It was at the top of Occupation Road, I think. And it was on the left. And it was literally... It, it, it was just like a little box room and it was a club shop. And like, look at the club shop we got now. It's absolutely brilliant. So the facilities they've done, they've, they've sort of built at Watford, obviously the training pitches and what they've done is brilliant. Their goal was to get in the Premier League. Now, when we were in the Premier League, they were they were splashing a bit of cash, which you, you would expect. But we started hearing sort of a few complaints from the Udinese side. Now, that's obvious because 
if you've got a team, if you own a team in the Premier League, they're going to make you more money than the team in the Serie A. Now, I think we're seeing the ad, uh, adverse effects now. I possibly think that they're making more money from Serie A than they're making from Watford in the Championship. So Udinese were moaning that they weren't getting the players that they needed and they were getting sort of casts off and everything. But that feels like what is happening to us now. They may be prioritising Udinese a little bit. You know, they've got Pereira back. They've got De La Feu. They've signed Fernando Lorente, who was very good at... Well, he was good at Spurs. Um, they've signed... I don't know if that uh, Wolves forward went through in the end, uh, Catron, but they were linked with him. You know, they're signing these players. And you sort of maybe get the feel that they're, they're trying to push maybe up the table a little bit now. So I think we're seeing the opposite effect of what was happening in the Premier League. Um, there have been things that people sort of dig out on the internet where you, you see that they've updated their accounts or they've paid off a debt, which usually means that owners will pay off debts before putting the club up for sale. So, the, you know, that's that was a couple of years ago. So maybe they are looking for fresh investment. I don't know too much. Um, we've, we've also had a, a question from uh, Ben Matthews, who I know listens. He put a very nice tweet out not long ago, sort of thanking us on a, another Watford podcast. He says, um, I've more or less lost faith in Gino. Munoz is clearly out of his depth, which I'm sure we you, we agree on, Ben. I think we spoke about that at the start. Would you say he's completely out of his depth managing for Watford? Uh, yeah, I was going to touch upon this a bit later on, but might as well do it now uh, as it's been brought up. Um, I'm really clueless with Munoz sometimes, um, especially this week. I thought he, he came out with a comment last week saying about the importance. He didn't give the importance to QPR. So you fully expect him to give it absolutely everything this weekend against Coventry. To hear that he was working on a formation 3-5-2 till Thursday and then ditched it last minute, it just doesn't send good signals. I think he is... Look, he seems like a lovely bloke. He seems like a guy that you could have a lovely chat with Mm -hmm. and it would be really nice. Um, But footballing-wise, I think his CV says it all. Um, Managing 11 games in the Georgian League. Coming over to the second division in English football, the championship, which is probably like the sixth best division in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, he's completely and utterly out of his depth. His substitutions are questionable. His tactics are non-existent. I just feel like I'm not normally one to be like wanting change. I'm always one to give the benefit of the doubt and give them time. Things might change. But if we carry on playing with having him as our manager this season, I don't think we will make the playoffs. We've got an eight-point gap now between us and seventh place. Mm-hmm. If we keep him for the Bristol City game, lose and the seventh place win, that goes down to five points. If we lose again, you can see where I'm going. They're yeah. going to catch up on us. And we're absolutely poor at the moment. I think we haven't won in three games now. Um it's only going one way. So, yeah, um, I really think he's completely out of his depth. Yeah, and look, you know, after experiences we've had asking if people are manager in or manager out, we, we, we've we not put that tweet out for obvious reasons, but there are people starting to crop up now. Uh, I think he's a yes man, Ben. You know, he is the perfect manager. You know how they talk about a new manager bounce when a manager goes and it completely freshens things up? He is the perfect candidate for that. 
because we heard when he come in, uh, he was playing Sweet Caroline in the dressing room and everyone was great. Look, cast your mind back to that Norwich game. Everyone was hugging each other at full time and we thought, we've got it back. We've got that zing back. Uh, but now you can see that he's just a yes man, possibly a little bit. Um, I mean, Ben's uh, question goes on to say, sort of, we need a coach like Danny Cowley to come in and be allowed to build a team. Unfortunately, it won't happen because when Munoth is sacked, he'll be replaced by another unknown yes-man puppet. Um, I've seen a few in the week calling for Ryan Lowe from Plymouth. He was very successful at Berry, and he's been successful at Plymouth as well. And uh, I think it was Luan's put a couple of compilation videos of their play. Plymouth's play against Sheffield United, and you can see that he plays it out from the back. The system he plays uh, He's a young British manager. Will probably be snapped up sooner or later. I wouldn't be surprised if Bournemouth go in to approach him because, you know, they like to nurture the, the British young managers. So it is going to be interesting to to keep tabs on, on Munoz's career at Watford uh, and what happens. Uh, he is, he, he's a lovely bloke and, and everything, but football's a ruthless business. You, you could be the loveliest bloke in the world. If, if you're tactically inept, you, you're going to get nowhere. Um, Alex Grocock actually asked us on Instagram... Is there any point in sacking Cisco? Surely we can see there's a much deeper issue. Do you, do you think that there is a much deeper issue? Yeah, or do you I think, think it's it, the management. Uh, the management isn't great, but I feel like the same issue is there, and it's player power. Um, it's been there for the last couple of seasons. The worst thing that ever happened to Watford was us sacking Javi Gracia after the poor start to the season that we had. Um, he deserved more time. We, we chopping and changing managers. Yes, it worked when we got promoted. Um, we had four managers that season, and then we managed to sack a couple in the season to survive in the Premier League. But sooner or later, it was going to catch up on us. Um, we we should have given Javi what he needed. I thought recruitment was very very poor that season when we really needed defenders, and the recruitment was poor, and we ended up being relegated off the back of that season. Um, I do think there's player power behind the scenes. That's, I think that's what um, Sue Levi is probably alluding to in his tweet about the whole Glenn Murray situation. Yeah. I've seen a few people saying that we might as well be called Dean FC as well. Um, I, I don't know. There's, there's loads of things going on behind the, the scenes of the club, isn't there? What's your take on it? What what speaks volumes for me is, Ben, we've had all these managers and the same thing's happening. You know how we talk about um, we might be crap in the first half, but then start the second half, there's a kick to us and we might be a little bit better in the second half. That happened when Pearson come in. When Pearson come in, like I think we beat Man United, we, we had some good results. Um, but ultimately, after lockdown, it's obvious that the big the, the big issue is been there's been no fans. Now, granted, we've only lost two at home all season and we've got the best home record in the division still, but it's obvious that something was happening. After lockdown, we didn't have a complete performance throughout the whole 90 minutes from the Premier League. Uh, the Leicester game, the Newcastle game, which we won, we weren't great in. We, we won it with two penalties. Um, so something there, there's something wrong because even under Ivic, 
I can't remember a complete performance other than maybe, say, Preston. And then it's still happening now. So that points in directions that maybe it's not just the management. There, there is a bigger picture here. Um, there are prob- there are a few characters in the tr- uh, dressing room which you know will be big voices in the dressing room. Um, Troy Deeney obviously being one of them. But I... <laughs> something I think when if the Pozzos ever sell up in a few years time or whatever when certain players move on when certain players retire and if the Pozzos move on I would not be surprised if an article come out explaining everything that happens or even maybe when Glenn Murray retires or players that have been with us in the Pozzo era when they retire or once the Pozzos move on something will come out I'm almost certain of it you know, I, I cast my mind back to Christ. When was it now? It was under Ivic. Uh, was it WD18 put a tweet out from a, a source saying, apparently someone close to a player has described what was going on at the club as a circus. That player wasn't named. So it's going to be interesting to see when certain players leave, what's happening. You know, completely irrelevant, but it's not, you know, it's like us to go off on a tangent. So I'm going to say it. Cole Dickinson. He was, I was just going to mention, yeah. He was with the club when the Pozzos first come in and he did a podcast. I'm almost certain it was, um, Christ, I can't remember what the podcast was called now, but um, it's the one with John Parkin, uh, the, the old shithouse striker. Um, he did that podcast and he said that when the Pozzos come in, I, I think basically he was told that he wasn't going to be played. So he was, or they weren't going to move him on or something. And he was just crunching people in, in, in training purely because, you know, he, he wanted to leave or he wanted to play. Uh, we, we've heard of similar players doing other things. So perhaps not too worried about that bit. I mean, Jonathan Hogg, when he joined Watford, uh, reportedly he wanted to leave Villa that much. He was just injuring their best players in training. So, you know, it's not unheard of, but, Cole Dickinson's the only one so far that I've known to speak out about what happens under the Pozzos. So I'm convinced that in a few years' time, you can come back to these podcasts and say, remember when Mike on the 7th of February said that something will come out? Well, now it's come out. So it's going to be very, very interesting. Definitely one to keep an eye on. Uh, But listen, I I could sit here and talk about for hours the great things that the Pozzos have Pozzos have done for us, but maybe they're priority, prioritising Udinese a little bit more. Uh, and obviously, look, we know the money's not coming in, so we're not going to be able to spend it, but there is still money in the bank. So I really don't understand, especially with Selinetti and Capu, Luis Suarez, Estupinen. Um, But yeah, I mean, <laughs> we've obviously stopped talking about the game now, Ben, because it was that drab. We were lucky to come away with a point in the end. Uh, just quickly, if you can pick one, I think it's an obvious answer, but if you can pick one, who would you say was, we won't call it man of the match because no one deserves that title, but who would you say was the best player on the pitch? Or uh, did well, did well. Yeah, the player that did well the most um, yeah. would probably be Daniel Batman. Yeah, um, absolutely. kept us in the game. I, I don't think there was really like top draw saves to keep us Routine in the game. Routine saves, I think. Routine saves, yeah. I thought... I thought it was a bit shaky early on. He, he came for a corner. Um, yeah. He got his positioning wrong and it just went over his head and luckily there was no one on the end of it. But um, apart from that, he, he did okay. I think he was probably a six or seven out of ten. Um, everyone else was maybe below five. 
Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think Backman was, um, I'm trying to think of the, the saying now, he was the best of a bad bunch. I think yeah. he's, he's probably best to say. Um, I mean, we, we've talked about transfers in, in this podcast recently. Uh, we've talked about the lack of left-backs. Just a little bit of news from outside, um, the outside of the game. It sounds as if Watford are going to be signing Atraf Lazar. Probably butchered that pronunciation, but who cares? Uh, he's reportedly signed for us and he's a left-back and he's joined on a deal until the end of the season with an option of a further year. Um, so he used to play for Newcastle and I think he had a spell at Sheffield Wednesday as well, if memory serves me correctly. Um, but it's just what we needed. You know, look at what happened that QPR game. Ben, you, you pointed it out last week. Um, you know, we, we, we were dying for Messina to come back. And even when we were back, I think the Pozzo said, well, left-back's maybe not a priority now because Messina's back. And I'm like, no, it, it doesn't work like that. You still need cover. Like, if Messina gets injured, we, we're screwed. And Gakia, yes, he, he can play at a push at left-back, but he does not look comfortable there at all. I mean, I don't think he had the best of games yesterday, to be honest, but he's much more comfortable on the right-hand side. Uh, it's evident that we're missing Kiko as well. So at least we've got cover for the right-hand side. But left-back, we haven't got cover. I think next time, if Messina gets injured, for me, stick Ben Wilmot there. Or even better, play three at the back. Then you don't have to worry about it. You can play Semmer as a wing-back and um, you can play Sarri the other side or Zinconog with the other side, right? You don't need to worry about it. But if we are going to stick with 4-4-2, which under Munoz, it's going to be interesting to see what happens against Bristol City. But if if, if you are, then you, we've, got to get, we've got to get someone in and hopefully this gets announced soon and hopefully he's a, he's, he's a decent backup for, uh, for Messina because we, we can't be relying on Ben Wilmot to fill in at left-back and, and Gakia to fill in at left-back either. Um, Ben, we we are well, we we did speak to a, a Bristol City fan. Uh, we had Owen on last time. We played Bristol City uh, at Ashton Gate, which also finished nil nil. Uh, we've got him on again, uh, so it was it was great to speak to him. Me and Ben sat down to speak to him just to ask a few questions about Bristol City and about the general feel towards the game on Saturday. And uh, this is what we discussed with Owen. <laughs> Yeah, we, as I say, we are joined by Owen again from the BS3 Talks podcast. Owen, we uh, we spoke earlier in the season before that absolutely thrilling nil-nil game at Ashton Gate. <laughs> uh, so let's hope it's not the same again this time round at Vicarage Road. Uh, although the way that it's going for Watford, who knows at the moment. Uh, I, I want to start off with a similar question that we asked last time round. Last time round, you just signed Adrian Mariapa. Um, mm-hmm. And I think he was on the bench for the game at Ashton Gate. This time round, now he's had a little bit more time to bed in, and I believe he's had a few more games. So, how's he settled in at Bristol City? Yeah, I think it'll be an interesting one for sort of what for fans to hear because due to City's injury crisis at left back, I mean, Jada Silva's been out for months and, and he's had to have an operation. Tommy Rose had an ongoing sort of. I think it's an ankle injury that he's tried to play through, and it's got progressively worse again. I think City's. You look at City's injury list, it's, it's absolutely abysmal how many injuries we've had. But Mariap has basically been farmed out, out on the left um, as a fullback. And let's just say it didn't go too well on Saturday for him. And I think, um, sadly, uh, for you guys and, and a lot of other fans, it's, it's not been the best time for him um, at Ashton Gate so far. 
that's a shame to hear because yeah, he's a bit of a Watford legend and surprised he's not doing that great at um left back because he is a versatile versatile player and we've we've shipped him out on a left and right many of times and he's done a decent ish job. Um but yeah, he had a two 0 defeat at home to Cardiff City yesterday. I think that was your eighth loss in the last eleven league games. Is Dean Holden under pressure now? Um I think, to be honest with you, Dean Holden's been under pressure since the appointment, based purely not nothing against him and, and how he's coming, because I think the way he's conducted himself has brought a lot of fans on side. But I think he's been under pressure the whole time because of what the board was speaking about um, in the summer after Lee Johnson. They said, we want to make sure the next appointment's right. We want we want to be a Premier League side. We want this, we want that. It was very, from Lansdowne, uh, he's the only outspoken um, about that, the lofty ambitions they had, of course. I'm sure you would have seen sort of rumours with Chris Hewton at the time. I think even Stephen Gerrard was being thrown about as a name they wanted to bring in. It was it was supposed to be a real step for the club. In, in right, we've had Lee Johnson, who's made us a solid championship team. Now we want Premier League football. Um, so to go and hire basically Lee Johnson's assistant manager um, as your next appointment after I think they said a, a lengthy spell looking at, at hiring him, it took five or six weeks for them to decide a manager I think that really to, to for want of a better word pissed a lot of fans off because <laughs> <laughs> because it was they spoke of these lofty ambitions and, and and he will sadly for Dean Holden he will always be seen as just it was a, a choice they made during a pandemic that made sense it, it was never I don't think the logical step they wanted to take next um, and now he, he comes he came in with promise of attacking football and, and they haven't been able to deliver that in recent weeks, despite what I think a lot of people would assess Bristol City squad as being a, to, a you know a top six team on paper. Um, so yeah, I think he definitely with this run as well is under pressure now. Yeah, you you mentioned obviously yesterday. Ben's just asked about the the defeat to Cardiff. That's they, they call it the seven derby. Seven side, yeah. Yeah, so obviously that's quite a big game for Bristol City fans. What what was the game like yesterday? Was it just Injuries are that evident that you've just been overran, or was it just the football wasn't good enough? Well, to, be complete, both, to be completely, to be completely transparent with you, I didn't watch the game. I haven't, I haven't watched the last few Bristol City games because of how poor the football's been. It's not been one that I've wanted to go out of my way and watch. It's not been a side that have that have looked to entertain. I think we had sixty-two percent possession yesterday and one shot on target. Against wow. your 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 rivals, you you can't be putting in a performance like that. There's no attacking threat. You signed someone in. They've signed someone in Naki Wells. It's, I think it's been over a year now. Maybe I think he's got off the top of my head, maybe like 12, 13 goals. And this is a guy that was that had twelve or thirteen goals for QPR in three months. <laughs> it, there's they, they can't play Naki Wells out wide trying to get goals out of him. He was the the man that was meant to come in, be the twenty goal a season striker that City needs to push on and. He's failed to deliver. I think the recruitment's come under fire as well. We saw um, our summer signing Joe Williams yesterday, uh, £1 million for the first time, as he picked up an injury apparently in his first training session that's taken him, what's that, six, seven months to come back. There's definitely an issue there as well. Um, but overall, it's it's not it's not inspiring. I think that's that's the thing. It's And I saw, um, I think we put out a tweet uh, at full time. And we had 33 replies the majority of them were just either that was shit or I'm glad I didn't spend £10, which I think goes to show maybe how the fans are feeling at the moment that it, 
and and City fans will get a bad rap for being quite toxic because realistically we've got quite a good thing going but we've now lost 13 games and that's more games lost than Sheffield Wednesday and Birmingham are in the bottom three and I think that's very telling as well It sounds like it's a bit worrying there's some similarities there to Watford <laughs> fans can probably relate to there by saying that was shit I'm not paying £10 for that I'll find a stream and watch it that way um, yeah. but but trying to find some positive for you boys Jamie Patterson's return from injury now um, yeah. featured the other night against Brentford is that a big boost for him to, to return? Mm. Massively, I think he, we all sort of unanimously, unanimous, I can't even say the word, unanimously <laughs> agreed on the podcast um, that he was City's player of 2020. And he was just, when Patterson's at his best, City are at their best. It is as simple as that. I think I'd, it would be absolutely insane of me to say this, but now I'm on the train, I'm going to say it. He kind of reminds me of of a Bruno Fernandes type in, in that he's a creative player that, once you've got him ticking, everyone around him seems to to waken up a bit. And I think that's what we've seen with Man United is that when they've brought in a player like Bruno Fernandes, it has improved players around him. And I think Jamie Patterson has the ability to do that. He does have the ability to perk other players up and make, make them sort of put that extra yard in. But also he has the creative vision that, that can benefit the strikers. And Having him back will be absolutely massive. It's no coincidence we've we've had a downturn of form when he's been out. Um, but it was just a shame about his recovery. Um, it just took him a while. I think he had a, an ankle injury that required surgery. It took him like a month or something to, to get it sorted, uh, to get it into the hospital. When you think, I think there, there will be questions probably asked of the, the City medical team come the end of the season, given the extensive list of injuries. I think at one point it was 12 first-team injuries. And you just think that's there's got to be summing up here. There's, there's no way you can have, be that unlucky. Um, and I think that might have been the case with Patterson and his recovery, why it's maybe taken a bit longer than initially assessed. You know what? It's so weird hearing you say, obviously, you had trouble with injuries, like you had 12 injuries at one stage. The the replies to the full-time tweet, so that was shit, we're not paying £10. <laughs> You could have very well been describing Watford there. Um, like it's so similar. I think we had that one season where Ben. What season was it? We had like loads of injuries because we let go of our head in, uh, heads physio, and there was a few question marks over that. And I think he sort of dished a bit of dirt on the club. Um, Wasn't it for but, a Walter Mazzari season? Yeah, yeah, that was it. We we had like some ridiculous amount of injuries, and you've got to be thinking like, who's to blame here? Well, obviously the medical team, but like, what what the hell was going on? So it, it's so weird to hear another fan say exactly what has happened or what is happening with our club here. <laughs> uh, you know, you mentioned that Jamie Patterson is your sort of Bruno Fernandez, if you like. There's a, there's actually a meme um, amongst the Watford fans of <laughs> Troy Deeney's face morphed into. Bruno Fernandez purely because <laughs> uh, he, he only scores penalties, so he's got seven goals in season and six of them are from the penalty spot. So I can, yeah. we can sort of relate on that point. But um, <laughs> obviously, you know, it, it really does sound very familiar with how things are going at Watford at the moment. Fan base unhappy, football not what it should be. Look, we we just drew with Coventry. Um, it, the, an article's come out on the Athletic today saying that three five two was the um, was the order of the day in training up until Thursday. And then on match, uh, after that, he scrapped it and we went back to a 4-4-2. So it sounds so mm. similar to the, the grumbles that are coming from your side. So with all of that considered, what are you going for score prediction-wise? Oof. I, 
I've, the thing is, I'm just in a very pessimistic mindset. I think anyway, with <laughs> with lockdown and everything that's yeah. happened, I think you tend to maybe lean towards the negative. But I do, I, I do probably see it as another Bristol City loss. I I'd probably say two 0 Watford just on the balance of it. I just I just don't see Bristol City turning this around at the moment. It's the, the odds are stacked against them in the sense um with with how many injuries they've had and the football not looking that great. Um, Holden now increasingly under pressure. I think a, a derby defeat really will do that. We've seen in the last, I think, four, three, seven side derbies, there's been five different managers or something for both Bristol City and Cardiff. So it shows the importance of that spell because it last season it was when City won at Cardiff, uh, Cardiff sacked Warnock. When um, Cardiff won at City, City sacked Lee Johnson. So I think that shows almost that the, how important that game can be yeah. for managers. So, I, not that I'm saying I don't think Dean Holden will go. I don't think they'll sack him, but um, I, th- I don't see the form improving anytime soon. So I think I'll say 2 0 Watford. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if we actually go into the game with a new manager ourselves, actually, uh, which is crazy to think, you know, we, we sit in fourth in the league and all of this is happening, been, you know. Yeah. It's been a very chop and change season, though, hasn't it? For a lot of clubs, I think they've been quick to pull the trigger this season. I don't know if that's maybe based on coronavirus and the need to stay up and the need to keep funds and and how desperate maybe clubs are to turn things around. Because it it has been really chop and change, I think, this season. Yeah, massively. It's uh, it's going to be a, a very, very interesting game, on a, especially after hearing from, from your side of things. It's going to be an interesting <laughs> game. Interesting game, I say. It's probably going to be the most boring nil-nil ever. So It will be another nil-nil. Yeah, it will be another <laughs> nil-nil, guaranteed. Um, so, yeah, no, that's going to be very, very interesting. But as always, you know, like last time, thank you very much for coming on the show. Uh, very last minute as well. So uh, thank you for that <laughs> as well. Uh, and hopefully after this Saturday coming, um, best of luck with the rest of the season for you guys. Um, yeah. <laughs> but for this Saturday, we obviously we need to win, as do you guys. So it's gonna it's gonna be a, it's gonna be one to keep an eye on. But thank you very much for your time today. I mean, really do appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, of course. Thanks, guys. Anytime. No problem. Cheers. <laughs> So some very, very interesting points there. It's going to be interesting to see if uh, Adrian Mariapa is uh, what he's going to be like up against us. Because when we played them last, he just signed. So he's been getting a run in the team now. So it's going to be good to see him, watch him have an absolute blinder against us, as always. Um, but yeah, Ben, it, it, I know we keep saying this, but it's crunch time now. We, we have to pick up results. You mentioned we're eight points clear of seventh. We have to start looking up. And I know a lot of people are like, we, we ain't got it in us, we ain't got it in us. Perhaps not, but we need to pick up three points desperately now, Ben, don't we? Yeah, we need three points. We need to try and get some momentum back and try and keep touch with the top two or try and keep our place in the playoffs position. And mm. It's going to be a very difficult game against Bristol City. They've got a good football inside. I know they're not on the greatest of form of lately. I think they've struggled and maybe their manager's a bit under pressure yeah. as well just like our manager is um, now um, but yeah they've, I think they've lost what was it they've lost 8 out of the last 11 league games so definitely they're, they're not um, perfect time to play us <laughs> yeah perfect time for them to get a result and get a run of games together for themselves isn't it but yeah um, they're a good size I thought they they maybe edged the game against us 
at Ashton Gate. So it's going to be a difficult game, but I am looking forward to seeing Adrian Mariapa play and see how well he does against us. I think he'll probably leave one on Troy. Yeah, little uh, little score prediction there. Um, I'm going to go for a one nil Watford win. Very good, Andre Gray to score, I assume. Yeah, I think it would be a penalty. Hey, we love a penalty at Vicarage Road. Uh, do you reckon if um, we get a penalty soon, Troy's going to give it to Gray to try and help his confidence? Uh, I really hope not. I just, Troy doesn't strike me as a type to, to give away penalties. Um, again, we, I'm going to go off on a tangent here. Remember when we went to the Huddersfield at home game and it was the last game of the season and they absolutely battered us? I think it was 4-2. We had a yeah. penalty and Jakubiak picked the ball up and Troy just laughed at him and took the ball off him. Like Even though we were like 4-1 down at the time, Troy still takes the penalties. So, uh, yeah, I, I very much doubt that will be the case. But listen, Ben, if miracles happen, Andre Gray won't be anywhere near the starting eleven to be on the pitch to take the penalty. So, um, yeah, hopefully what, anyway. What, what did you make of that interview the other night? Yeah, um <sighs> It was obviously PR purposes. I, I said to my mate, I says, you know, we were just chatting and that, and I says, well, I says, funnily enough, I says, I'm just watching an interview with Andre Gray, you know, it's about him breaking lockdown. And he says usually clubs are very guarded about that sort of stuff and they don't really talk about it. Um, it was obviously all PR stuff. And do you know what? Fair play to him for actually coming out and speaking about that sort of stuff. Um, I... I I'm not great with words on Twitter. I, I said I tip my hat to him. That's probably a little bit too much because you, you don't break lockdown rules twice or more than twice and call it a mistake. You know what you're doing the second time round. So he's still an idiot for doing that. Um, and I don't tip my hat for him to doing that. But in terms of coming out and speaking about his confidence and that, I'd love to sit here and say, let's hope that's lifted a weight off his shoulders. But we didn't see anything like that yesterday. Um, the only thing I can say was, you know, I'm going to feel a bit stupid saying this, but if it has lifted a certain weight now that that has come out for the general public to view, Rome wasn't built in a day. So maybe we'll see gradual performances. But really, I don't really want him to be getting picked week in, week out, especially now that Parizza and Isaac are, are back. Um, what what was your viewpoint on the, the interview itself? Oh, it's surprised that they even did it and even released yeah. it. I thought it, it happened months ago. Um, I thought fair play to him for actually wanting to sit there and front the questions. Um, it would have took guts to do that. Um, I didn't actually hear him apologise, though, really. I didn't really hear him say the word sorry. Um, He's a very awkward individual, um, yeah. not interview-wise. But, yeah, it was 20 minutes of him just answering questions wasn't it but what I didn't like and what a lot of Watford fans didn't like was the interviewer Richard Walker tried to compare yeah. Andre Gray with Luther Blissett because um, I think back in the 80s um, Luther Blissett used to have a lot of chances and he used to miss it didn't he um, so they used to call him Luther miss it um, yeah. to try and compare Andre Gray who broke the law with his two lockdown um, parties, poker night, and five-a-side football. Try and compare him to a Watford legend, all-time appearance maker, goal-scoring record holder. It, it was very farcical, and I thought it was, it was, it was very disrespectful to Luther. It was. I can see what he was trying to do, but he completely like ballsed it up. 
Like yeah. he, he was trying to say the best, even the best of strikers have sort of goal droughts. And I think he probably should have left it at that to try and then bring somebody in and then compare him with like one of what well, Watford's all-time top goal scorer. I think he dropped the bollock there, to be honest. Yeah, he um, could have easily came in and said, look, some strikers go through sticky patches. Yeah, exactly. Um, form comes and goes or something. But he, yeah. for him to actually like name drop Luther Blissett as well and compare them, it was a bit out of taste, I thought. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so listen, if if Andre Gray starts scoring, then obviously we'll get behind him, and I, I want to get behind him. But you can't really excuse the the two breaks of lockdown. You know, once okay, you have to be a bit of an idiot, but it is stupid. But twice, you know, it's it's no good. Um, but listen, he's a Watford player. At the end of the day, I love Watford. I'm gonna support any player that plays for the shirt. Uh, well, plays in the shirt because at the moment he doesn't look like anyone's playing for the shirt. Um, but yeah, I think that that's that's about it. It's it's a little bit of a longer pod as, as, as normal. Um, we, we really... This is what's funny, guys. Right? Me and Ben are really enjoying doing these podcasts at the moment. It's just a shame we haven't got the results to match it. Because like we we've we we often speak behind the scenes about how we, we we love doing these and the interaction you guys have given us. You know, thanks to all you guys that sent in the questions at short notice. I think we we perhaps sent the tweet out about half eight and we're recording at nine. So in half an hour to get as many questions as we did, it's absolutely amazing. Uh, everyone that interacts with us at the moment, uh, Ben's doing an absolutely superb job of picking random Watford football players every day. Uh, but thank you for your interaction on them. A lot of people have shared stories about that player. Uh, Jamie Hands, Neil Cox, Marcus Gale, Samus Priskin, Don Curry, to name a few. So, you know, it, it, we, we're really, really loving the interaction that we're getting on all social media platforms as well. Um, so we, we're we going to try and obviously mix it up a, a little bit this year and we're going to try new things and hopefully interview a few more ex-players if any international breaks come up or if any free weeks come up. So, um, yeah, we, we're really, really loving it. It's just a shame we haven't got the, the results so much. But with me and Ben, as always, we'll be back next week to talk about the Bristol City game and then look ahead to the Preston North End game. Uh, I think we've got someone booked in for that game to, to come on to speak about it. If not, we will try and look at getting someone to uh, a special guest to join us for that game or, or that podcast. Uh, so keep your eyes peeled on that when we announce who it is. But as always, from myself and from Ben, thank you very, very much for listening. Enjoy the rest of your week. Stay safe. Look after your family. Take care and try and be positive. But come on, you ought. Sports Social Podcast Network.